Kia ora. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. My name is Alice. I'm a primary school teacher and mum to an energetic toddler. I've been busy in level three and four with everything from Play-Doh to sourdough, teddy bear spotting to late night lesson plotting, Zoom meetings and extra eating. Level two is important to me because it means hugging my whanau, welcoming our tamariki back to school and letting my son finally go on the swings. Kia ora Alice, I think there are many people who can relate to that too. And I'm certainly looking forward to hugging my whānau as well. We're certainly celebrating the news with you. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast, I'm Indira Stewart. It's been about seven weeks since we first went into lockdown and you've all put in an enormous effort in uniting in the fight against COVID-19. Yesterday we had just three confirmed cases, all traceable, either overseas or to an existing cluster. And we haven't had a single day over the last week where cases have gone above the low single digits. In fact, two days in a row, there were zero cases. And that's all thanks to you. You've stayed home, you've stuck to your bubble, you've covered your coughs, you've washed your hands, you've looked out for your neighbours and your whanau, and many of you have made some hard sacrifices during this time. And now, some good news. Today, I am announcing that Cabinet agrees we are ready to move into level two. As of Thursday, we're all getting a lot more freedom. Malls, restaurants, cinemas and all those other public places are reopening. Domestic travel is reopening and we'll be able to pop our bubbles and go visit our friends and whanau. By the start of next week, schools, early childhood centres and tertiary institutions will also reopen. But there are a few parts of Level 2 which won't be happening straight away. At least for the first two weeks, there'll be restrictions when it comes to gatherings. When we come together to socialise in large numbers with one another, there is risk. The best insurance policy we have for that risk is to reduce the size of our socialising for now. And that is what the Director-General of Health has recommended that we do for now. Parties big social events or anything designed to be for mixing and mingling won't be allowed to happen for groups that are larger than 10. Gatherings at home need to be kept at 10. Church and religious events, weddings, funerals, stag do's, all limited to 10 for now. And if you're wanting to head to a restaurant or a bar, they won't be able to take group bookings for larger than 10. This, alongside social distancing, is our insurance policy. And why 10? Simple. If something goes wrong with a group of 10, that is much easier to contain, much easier to contact trace, much less likely that if something goes wrong, the whole country will have to experience more restrictions. That doesn't mean that you won't see larger gatherings of people around you. People, for instance, will be at the movies, but they'll all be spaced out. They'll be watching sports, but they will be spaced out. People might go to a show, but they will be spaced out. You'll see bars and restaurants open, but they again will be required to have people seated and spaced out. Now that concern about social gatherings also means restrictions on bars. Some of them will be staying closed for a little bit longer. The government is drawing the line based on Easter trading laws. So basically, any place that's normally closed over Easter will need to stay closed until Thursday of next week. 
Hospitality Association knows well the way these provisions work, and that's why we chose them. Um, they're a way that we can start to stagger those businesses who are primarily focused on food um, and then leave a little bit later some of that higher risk, which is those that tend to be primarily focused on alcohol. It's something that the hospitality um, industry is very familiar with those provisions, and so it makes it easier for them to implement them. Not everyone's happy about that rule, including Josh Thomas, who owns Wolf Bar in Dunedin. It's maybe a little too nuanced and a, um, a little bit confusing. The guidelines for bars under Level 2 are that everyone has to be seated and served at the table, which effectively means that next Thursday all bars are going to be opening as restaurants anyway. So I don't quite understand why we can't open as restaurants. I think they've probably kept bars out because they're worried about bars that have will, will push the rules right to the outer limit and maybe actually bend them quite a lot. So they're worried about those big booze barns that are just going to, you know, they'll seat people, but it'll be a little bit loose and they'll be pushing the boundaries. So I think they're probably, you know, that's probably their thinking, that they need to, to stagger things in this way. But I guess places like us, which are not that kind of bar, we're going to get a little bit caught in the crossfire. The shift to Level 2 also means professional sport can restart, although for now the ban of gatherings of more than 10 people means that community sport will still be banned. Here's how the Sports Minister Grant Robertson explained things to Lisa Owen on Checkpoint. Most of the sporting codes that we've been talking to um, will not be starting up community level sport in the next two weeks anyway um, because you know they, they want to get themselves and their clubs in the right place. When it comes to professional sport we're very much treating those as workplaces and we've even had WorkSafe New Zealand involved with those professional sporting codes, the netball and the rugby to make sure that, that they're organised. So we're treating them quite differently um, in, terms of, in terms of other activities. When it so comes Minister to it's not that they're safer, it's just that you're, well using semantics you're saying that because that's professional, that's a workplace? Well, no, it is because it's a controlled environment and that's the really significant difference here for, for those, uh, those, those clubs who are, who are professional is that they are in a position where they can very closely manage and monitor who's there, what they're doing, how they're acting. And in fact, there's been weeks' worth of work with both Netball New Zealand and Rugby New Zealand to create safe environments for them to be in. Just the same as somebody going, else going to a work site where there are far more than 10 people there. So the fact that this shift is happening on Thursday is really exciting news, but we do need to curb our enthusiasm a little bit. Firstly, we still need to stick to the rules of Level 3 for the next two days. We also need to make sure we don't get carried away about meeting up with friends and break those rules around larger gatherings. As we move down to a situation where we're getting far more freedom back in our lives, that also means that as individuals we've got to take more responsibility. So quite clearly, you know, the police will continue to, to do the job that they've been doing, but they're not going to be knocking on your door if you're having a dinner party. That's up to you. And I think most people want to lock in the gains that we've made. They'll make sure that they stick by the rules. Where there's obvious and flagrant breaches of the rules, just like the police have been doing up to now, that's when they'll step in. And finally, this shift does mean an increased risk of catching and spreading the virus. It'll become more important than ever to keep up our hygiene and physical distancing. And if you start to feel even slightly sick, you need to talk to health authorities immediately. The clock starts 
as soon as someone feels sick. If you have COVID, we need every minute to find the people you have been in contact with and isolate them before they are in contact with someone else. In short, if you get a sniffle or a sore throat or a cough, get advice and get a test quickly. Please don't be a stoic Kiwi. If you do your bit, we all must keep doing ours. That means continuing our strong border controls, hand hygiene and physical distancing, which have and will continue to be our primary wall of defence against COVID. There are tools that have worked. But we all know there is more to do. We may have won a few battles, but we have not won the war. We are still recording cases most days. New information about the virus indicates it could be spread prior to a person becoming symptomatic, meaning it can be passed on by seemingly healthy people. And the scientists who have advised us so well to date say there is still a chance of silent spread in the future and therefore cases taking off again. We've said this before and we'll keep saying it, this is a marathon and the race doesn't end until we have a vaccine or an effective treatment. Yesterday, the government announced it'll spend an extra $200 million on family and sexual violence services whose work, it says, has proved so essential throughout the lockdown. Here's Jan Logie, Undersecretary to the Minister of Justice for Domestic and Sexual Violence Issues. It's a commitment in this announcement of over $200 million, which builds on the 320 that we announced last year. Um, and is the focus this time is ensuring that our frontline services, our women's refuges, our easy services, our services working with people using violence and those over 65 have got the resources to really make sure that people are getting the best service possible and that they are looked after in that work. Agencies in the sector have welcomed the funding boost, but some are warning that Level 2 may bring a fresh surge in family violence. In the week before the announcement, they spoke frankly to our producer Katie Gossett about their experiences during lockdown and what they fear might happen in the coming weeks. And just a warning, this story includes description and discussion of abuse. Please listen with care. was 18. I was working at the time, but the drugs sort of got the better of me. And when I was about six months pregnant, I got beaten to a pole. It might have been 20 odd years ago, but Rosie, not her real name, still remembers in vivid detail what it's like to live with someone who uses violence. My ribs were all had small hairline fractures on them. I had boot marks on my back. I had strangulation marks on my neck. She remembers too how it feels to have to manage someone else's moods. Always walking on eggshells and was sort of scared about what I was going to say. I remember times when I would be made to stay at home so that he could go out and he would get his brothers to stay at home with me so that I couldn't go anywhere. But after a while, Rosie took the first steps towards leaving. I tried to leave that relationship a lot of times, a lot of times, but 
you know, he's the only one that'll ever love me. I'm never going to find anybody else, is what made me go back to him. I think I was in my late 20s when I finally did make the decision to go. But family violence is still in her life, by choice. Now she works at He Wakatapu, an organisation that supports women to escape family harm and challenges men to change their own behaviour. You get this understanding around the whole hurt people hurt people, which has been really an interesting conversation that we've been having lately around how men can also be victims. And that's not to diminish the pain and hurt that they've caused, but it sort of gives you an understanding around what was going on for them. And that conversation has carried on during the lockdown. We've had quite a few referrals come in. A lot more at the beginning of the year, we didn't, you know, it was slow. And now they're coming through quite fast. And they're not the only ones who've been under pressure. Hello, you have reached Aviva's support line. Please listen to the following options. Aviva is based in Christchurch and helps families to become violence-free by supporting both victims and perpetrators. Press 1 for support regarding a family or sexual violence concern. And they've been flat out. Our phone has not stopped ringing. Aviva's General Manager of Operations, Gwenda Kendrew, says the 0800 number is normally just for Canterbury, but staff have been fielding calls from around the country during lockdown. That phone message you just heard is short and to the point. It has to be. We don't want to waste valuable time having a long conversation with someone at the time that they've grabbed their phone to pick up and make a call because now is the one minute I've got before they come back in the room again. And people have been calling. We're dealing with about a 35, 36% increase in the work that we do. Someone else who keeps a daily eye on dangerous family environments is Leanne McSkimming, who heads up Canterbury's Integrated Safety Response to Family Violence. It's a pilot initiative set up in 2016, one of two in New Zealand, the other is in Waikato. It's essentially a collaborative venture that's led by police, but brings together agencies like Corrections, Oranga Tamariki, the Canterbury District Health Board and family harm specialists. So how it works is that for every episode of family harm reported by a police 111 call, or for high-risk prison releases, so that's somebody who's a high-risk family harm offender being released from prison, every episode will come to my team and that will go out to all of our multi-agency partners. The partners all share information so they can work out what the daily risk of harm is to any one family. Because when everyone is in the picture, it can make all the difference. Unfortunately, where somebody has died at the hands of a generally an ex, ex-partner or a partner. Generally what they, those family violence death reviews have found is that one agency maybe knew something that if, that if the whole picture of what, what everybody knew was shared, it actually could have saved a life. So there's often information which on its own may not seem significant, but actually when you put all of the bits of the puzzle together, suddenly you have a really clear picture of actually what are the stresses, what is actually happening for that family. In the time the team's been running, it's seen some real successes, reducing incidents in families where violence was the norm. But collating those figures and sharing information during the lockdown has shown some new trends. 
the increases that we have seen have been in verbal abuse and particularly arguments between siblings at home. And we've actually seen quite a number of increase where neighbours are calling police. So that's what's been happening in the last month. What worries many in this sector is what's still to come. The international precedents are already there. Here's Ange Jury, the Chief Executive of Women's Refuge. We've seen in the UK a huge surge in serious assaults and unfortunately deaths that I would be praying we don't see here. The same sorts of patterns have been seen across Europe. She's concerned that other factors will also play a role down the track. Things like increased unemployment, which leads on to poverty, higher levels of mental distress, fear and anxiety, and people self-medicating to handle it all. All of those things are things that are not good for family violence. That's the worrying thing that across the next few months or year or more that there will be an inevitable move upwards on numbers. In Christchurch, the Battered Women's Trust has already had people calling its crisis line, hinting that they are almost ready to make a move. Chief Executive Lois Herbert. Women who have rung us and whispered into the phone or said they can't talk now but they need help. And she's braced for a spike when the country moves into level two. I think what we'll see is an increase of at least 20% on our base rate of numbers and probably more. And that is definitely based on the experience that we had through the earthquakes, where people, you know, right at the crisis moment, they'll hang on. But once that initial crisis period is over and they realise that they can't go on the way things are, then that's when we get the phone calls. If we look again to the international trends, there is one positive on the horizon that Ange Jury says hasn't been so well reported. She's heard anecdotally that more people who actually use violence are reaching out for help, and she's hoping that will be the case here, citing the success of services aimed at men like She Is Not Your Rehab and Hewakatapu's 24-hour Hey Bro helpline. For every one of those people who reaches out for help, and gets it, that is potentially one victim that actually isn't going to be abused. Rosie works with men in the community and the prisons and says she's seen them make real changes in their behaviour. It's actually been a a bit of an honour for me to hear their side and still be able to challenge them around that sort of thinking. You know, oh, well, if she hadn't done this, well, hang on. But this isn't about her, this is about you and what you did. Oh yeah, but she should have, well no, you had the choice and actually your choice is what landed you here. And I think when they hear it from a Wayne perspective, it sort of gives them pause to think about what they've actually done and the impact that it's had. And Gwenda Kendrew's seen it too. And probably the second week of lockdown, a man took himself out of the house, went and sat in the car, and called us and said, I'm going to be in trouble. If I don't talk to somebody, what do I do? And uh, our work has been quite a long time on the phone, talking them through what the situation was, what tools they had um, within themselves to be able to manage the situation, and then a plan about moving forward. Those calls are hard because, again, we just have to trust that when we hang up, they've got enough to be able to get themselves through to life of day. 
where they could think a little bit differently about what was going on. But for people who make that kind of phone call, we've got a huge amount of respect in not judging and offering them support so that, you know, again, an opportunity to break a cycle. Because while that cycle remains, the statistics on family harm are alarming. In New Zealand, there's one incident reported every four or five minutes. So, yeah, I hate it when I'm sitting speaking with a group of people and often I know over the 20 minutes of the presentation that meant that four or five people had picked up the phone and reported. That means that while this report's been playing, two people have already potentially been harmed, maybe even more. Now, what's concerning about that is that about 20% of incidences are actually reported. And so for every one that's happening every four minutes, there's a whole lot more that are happening that we don't know about. All of which makes working in this field a pretty demanding job. Ah, oh, look, I'm glad I'm not in front of you because the tears come at this time. We just want small wins for people. We just want to help people be able to stay safe. The stories are huge, both good and bad. But we only need a win occasionally to think that that's what it's about. So as Level 2 beckons, with the likely challenges it will bring, those in the sector are urging anyone who's facing family violence to try and get out. Rosie understands better than most that it can be hard for people to leave a violent situation, as it was for her. I believe a woman that is staying in a relationship that's based on family harm is a really strong woman, but that strong woman can be so much stronger if she gives herself the opportunity and permission to leave. She says when they are ready, the support will be waiting. If you can do it, do it. If you're not ready to do it, talk to somebody. You know, and there's always people out there that will support you 100%, no matter what choice you make. I would like to say that it's better out than to stay in, though I can't force you to make that decision. But I'd really like to see you out. So, yeah, this is a big mihi out to all those that are still enduring it and an even bigger mihi to those that are out and have stayed out. Thanks, Katie. If you or anyone you know is affected by domestic violence, you can contact any of the agencies Katie spoke to in her piece. We've got a list on our website. The hotline for Women's Refuge is 0800 733 843. Kia haumaru, kia kaha, kakite kwe a popo. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Sonia Sly, and Katie Gossett. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Listener.